XM 59 The Fan Man, Spring Gunning. NHL All-Star Draft on Thursday. Skills competition for a million bucks on Friday and then the uh, game on Saturday. Leafs next in action on Monday against Patrick Waugh's New York Islanders. And maybe this rears its ugly head again. Maybe we hear a lot more Sheldon Keefe being thrown overboard discourse. It does feel like we're through the worst of it. Four-game losing streak culminating in Western Canada. That, that felt pretty pretty strong uh, in, in the media market that is Toronto. Um, and Roger Living decided not to pull the trigger on a move that, again, considering both the available assets at the deadline, considering the assets the Leafs have at their disposal to use in trade, and considering the lack of impetus in the Eastern Conference to, to go out and make a big splashy move that these teams in the East largely made their strongest moves a season ago. I don't think there's a big move coming. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Prove me wrong, Brad, for living at the deadline. Mm-hmm. And maybe firing the coach would have been the biggest boost this team could have gotten. But it seems like that ship has sailed. Again, maybe it could rear its ugly head again. But it, it does feel like the, the decision was made not to pull the trigger on that move. Does he deserve credit, Brent, for not taking what everybody, even the people calling for Sheldon Keefe's head, understood was the easy move? Yeah, I think he deserves a little bit of credit for, for sure. I mean, proof will be in the pudding, right? If this team has a swoon in the back half of the season, or well, I suppose we're already in it, but post-All-Star break or post-trade deadline, then maybe you can point to it and say, ah, it was always there, the people who maybe thought he should have made a move. Even as somebody who understood the thinking behind it, I was never there in terms of thinking that Keefe needed to be thrown overboard or, or be turfed. And, you know, it, it actually is funny, the conversation we had earlier in the show in terms of what could lead Treliving to act in a big way, to make a big move. And I'm not saying these two things are tied together, but I wonder how much how the core feels about the coach is tied to that. And not to say that he's giving the players everything they want and saying, oh, they want Keefe as their coach. But if Keefe is a guy who is, you know, I don't want to overstate it like he's loved or beloved by those players, but if he's liked, if he's respected, and those players look around, and again, like, they're not idiots. They go, okay, hold, I'm sorry, Ryan Reeves, great that he scored, but he's been a non-factor. John Klingberg, all the moves you have made mm-hmm. have not really worked, and the guy we like who's been battling with us mm-hmm. for the last four or five years, he's the one who has to pay the price. I don't think that's why Sheldon Keefe wasn't fired, but I think that has to be at least a theory or a thought to the equation there. Because again, if I'm, if I am one of these leaf players and you know, you pointed it to Matthews cause he's obviously the guy who would have the most power there, but any of them I'd say, okay, I I'm still learning. And I mean, I bet William Nylander has all the trust in the world in him. Quite frankly, he goes, I think he's great. He should, he can do no wrong. Here. Right for living. Yeah. yeah. But what a negotiator, what a negotiator. I think I, I do think that's part of it, of the equation to fire, not fire the coach and the conversations we had at the time, the conversation was bubbling about, do you make a move and then make a change? Do you make a change and then make your move in terms of a coaching change and a move being a trade? I, I do wonder how much that was part of the equation. I don't know if he deserves credit for it, honestly. Like, I'm not part of Sheldon Keefe's family. I do think he's 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 done a <laughs> like a good job. I, I I don't think it's been the best job. Obviously, the best job would be winning a Stanley Cup and having a little more postseason success during the regular season. It's hard hard to really poke holes in Sheldon Keefe's track record and go back. I just rattled off at the top of the show all the 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 numbers yep. that are different between this year's Leafs team and last year's Leafs team. And 
Look at some of the the guys playing on the blue line on this Leafs team a season ago and the uncertainty in goal going into that season and the defensive output they had, sixth best in the NHL as far as goals against per game. And that's the players, obviously, but putting them in positions to succeed in that way, some of the credit has to be given to Sheldon Keefe. He is the sole proprietor of the franchise record in points for a season, granted, like, you know, loser points and yada, 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 yada. The regular season success is undeniable. Who cares? Like, if if firing him was going to give you the best shot of winning in the postseason, then that's the move you should have made. So, like, the idea that, like, we should, oh, you know, he, that what an easy move it would have been. And he did, Brad, you're living, not taking the easy route here. Like, who cares? Like, whatever scoreboard. Like, mm-hmm. if if it takes throwing a Sheldon Keefe overboard to win this season, then that's the move you should have made. Made mm-hmm. uh, and obviously that the, the proof will be in the pudding the second half of the season and going into the postseason. Also, if you want to be like more calculating about it, yep. or, or or imagine Brad Living being more calculating about it, is yeah we talk about bullets in the chamber and one like the 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 fan base is apparently going to let him get away with the. Pretty milk toast trade deadline. Not me. If anyone out there wants wants to join me, but I like you're right. I I mean, and maybe we're part of the problem because I've said it. Like, and and you know, the the this has all been, and and maybe this the Leafs have leaked it out in such a fashion to allow this to be a more palatable situation of the deadline when the big splashy move is not made. Like the, we, we hear it time and time again from every insider who has some insight into what the Maple Leafs are going to do with the deadline is that it's like maybe some some tepid ads, but mm-hmm. nothing. They're not going to be Noah Hannafinning it up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get a reprieve on the deadline. If you don't fire your coach, once you fire your coach, it's like, oh, yeah, you get one more coach maybe. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the bullets in your chamber. And obviously, like, you're the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The the, the countdown is always on. Yes. Unless you're Kyle Dubas, who even before you won a round, you were handed a contract extension that you blew yourself because you overplayed your hand financially. Anyways, that's beside the point. But generally speaking, that's a position where the clock is always supposed to be counting down. If you fire your coach in the middle of year one, Mm -hmm. yeah, you are putting... The, maybe the target not directly on your mm-hmm. head, but closer to your head than it would have been if, in fact, you know, you let it play out. And then maybe in the offseason, mm-hmm. well, obviously, if the Leafs don't win a round, like, that's it for Sheldon Keefe. And maybe if they don't win two rounds, that's it for Sheldon Keefe. That's that's a move that's going to be made then. Mm-hmm. And hey, I, don't, I don't know if he deserves credit for not doing it now. Well, so there there's a couple things there. The, the idea, the other reason why I was hesitant to the idea of firing Keefe was much like the position they found themselves in with the GM trade change is that when you make a move at a less than opportune time, you have a less than opportune pool of candidates. Mm -hmm. And that is why I was somebody who, and I know a lot of people did not like this idea, but I was actually a believer that if you were going to do it, it's not to go hire Craig Berube. It was to give the reins to, I mean, Guy Boucher would be the most obvious one, but an interim guy. I think that Boucher now is the guy. He went two for I mean, three on the power play. So, so, of course, he's all the way back. But you look at it and you you see a team that, you know, I don't think Brad Living would have been their last choice to be GM. I don't think he would have been number one with a bullet either, but he kind of had to be given the time that they had to move on. And I think that's why. And the other thing that I, th- sorry, do you want to get in on that? Or the other thing that I thought was interesting that you mentioned there, and I, I've kind of felt this and, you know, it's like we've all done the Civil War and Leafs fan base jokes before, but I think because it was 
was such a trying time for the fan base. And not that they're of the weeds by any means, but I do think even the people, and hand up, I'll count myself among this, who have looked at the moves and go, I want to be hypercritical of the GM, go, okay, you know what? Do we need to start this tenure at 10 out of 10, manning our battle stations against each other? And that's why I think the people being okay to a certain extent with a soft pedal deadline or a little tweak, little tweak here. I think that's a part of why it's so for lack of a better term, palatable or acceptable to the mm, fan base. I think there's oh. something to that too. Okay. They were ready to get angry in the off season. We just don't want to get angry. Now. I do think it's, I do think it's a little bit like, okay, you're it's, you know, your friend comes over. They it's like when you're a little kid, your friend comes over, like someone comes visit you. It's like, Hey, you can put on a little bit of a show of like, Hey, look, we're a big happy family. Look how we are. And then it's like, you know, they live with you for, for, or they come to stay for two or three days. And it's like, all right, you get to see what it's like living in this house. And mm-hmm. I think true living's in the coming over for dinner mm-hmm. phase of this all right now. We'll see. Obviously, this team will be judged on its uh, postseason performance. All right. Uh, one more Leafs uh, second half topic mm. before we move on to some tangential Blue Jays news. <laughs> Carlos Baerga trying to break some Blue Jays information. Uh, take that for what, you, for what it's worth, <laughs> considering his track record. All right. Brent. Mm. When I texted this to you, you got very excited. I did. What's your Leafs take that you have absolutely no statistical proof for, but you believe wholeheartedly? Tyler Bertuzzi is due. The man is due. He's going to have a breakout. I don't know if it's coming in the second half, but guess what? If it doesn't come in the second half, that just even further emboldens me that we will see playoff Burt return to form. You were showing me on your notes that you wrote down more or less the exact same thing. How could I back it up? I see him. They've been good. They've started to turn it around a little. I also just saw the hockey gods say, Mm-mm, not tonight, not after the birth of your child. No, no, no. You can't have a goal to get off the schneid. We already did that for John Tavares. So, uh, he's as snake bit as snake bit can be. I haven't loved his game at various times of the season. I think he's coming around more. Anthony Petrelli loves his yeah, season. Yeah, so I, I actually did notice that in there, and I want to talk to him about that. But that's my take, that I 1,000% have nothing to back it up. I just believe you know, it in my heart of hearts. Guy can't be that unlucky for that long. It is, I have the exact same uh, response as you. It is kind of cheating, though, because there is this... There is a statistic that we could use to back this up, and it's the 10 points in the seven games with the Bruins mm. in their first-round series against the Panthers. I going to give me shooting percentage. No, nah, I'm not going to give it that okay. because, no, like, he gets no shots. So, yeah. like, <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, you, oh, you didn't score in your one shot today? Like, that's I, – I get it. Like, over a prolonged period of time, eventually you're going to shoot on – you're going to score on one of those shots. But mm-hmm. when it's only won a game, hard for me to look at shooting percentage. <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a couple, and what was it? Was it the Oilers game where they hit yes. the post? I and... don't. I still don't understand how it didn't go in. Anyways, but no. Here's the thing: the playoffs you you may have noticed are very different than the regular season. I've heard tales. Fan- I've heard tales. <laughs> okay. And as much as you can occasionally gum up the the energy to make fun of Sam Bennett's lack of hair, right? In a regular season game, it's tough. It's great. You know, even on a Monday against an Islanders team with Patrick Waugh on the bench, it's tough, man. What is not going to be tough to do is gin up that type of energy that Max Domi, because I threw Max Domi in here as well, that like the narrative in mine is that, hey, the narrative is going to shift a lot on Bradshaw Living when those two guys get into the postseason and they are two of the most dominant leaf forwards that we see on the ice come the postseason against whoever it is. Yeah, here's what, you know, April whatever against 
uh, Tampa or Florida or the Rangers or like, man, MSG, that would be exciting. Uh, here's what it's not. It's not Monday against the Islanders and you're going to have no problem. What you're going to have to do is maybe like try to rein those two dudes back so yep. that we don't have a Nazem Kadri situation. But yeah, it's, it's, I get it. It, it was a two pronged thing, right? That you're trying to get guys that aren't going to kill you during the regular season. You'd certainly hope especially Bertuzzi, who starts the season playing next to Austin Matthews, yeah. is going to be a perfect fit up there. Hasn't been, despite the fact that some people, again, Anthony Petrelli, who we'll talk to later on this hour, um, you know, believe that he's having a better season than I've seen. Hasn't really jumped off the page for a guy that has a 30-goal season yep. in his career. It's been a while, and it was just one 30-goal season and scored single-digit goals a season ago, or around single-digit goals. Um, but yeah, when we get to the postseason... That, that that those guys were acquired to bring some of those. I don't even want to call it intangible stuff. Snarl, like, like an, an, but even just an energy. Yeah, that is not going to happen during the eighty-two game regular season. It better happen. I expect it to happen. Game one of the postseason. Yeah, it's funny. I I feel it's funny that I went to Bertuzzi, I guess, just because he's playing up top. That's where my mind immediately goes. But with Bertuzzi, it feels like a thing I believe will happen. With Max Domi, it is a thing I know in my heart will happen, and the name you brought up is the perfect one because it is way more likely. Let me put it this way. It's way more likely we're talking about a Nazem Kadri situation than we are a sleepy game or right. a shift, let right. alone a series or a playoffs from, from Domi. And, yeah, it's... You know, they do need that element. You need some jerks. You need guys who aren't afraid to mix it up. You need guys who just play with that, you know, half a screw loose mentality. Go back to all the most beloved Leaf team. Go back to all the successful cup teams of the last era. They've had those guys. So, yeah, I think that's a good one. I got one more to throw at you. Okay. Joe Wall will get his net back. It's his net, and he will get it back. Now, just because he gets it back doesn't mean it's his forever, but there will come a time might be as recent as there is as as soon as next month where Joe Wall has his net again and Samsonov is the 1B to Joe Wall's 1A and Keith is saying you read between the lines Keith knows who his starter is and it's going to be Joe Wall I think that it's going to take a while because of the play you're going to see of Samsonov and they're going to want to slow play things with Wall especially because of the mental aspect of this all with Samsonov but I think that that's the guy they are at the very least. That's the guy the coach has thought was going to be a starter all year long body of work. He's been the better goalie this year. Joe wall will get his net back. Yeah, I actually disagree. I, I, I think that now I'm at a spot where I think Ilya Samsonov is going to be starting game one of a postseason series. Um, not because like, and now I believe in, in Ilya Samsonov, but here's what I believe that he's not going to be as bad as he was to start the season, which means that we're, we, you mm. know, we're getting a guy that's, Okay, maybe not having a career year 920 save percentage the rest of the way, but like certainly I think he's figured out enough to to not be allowing two to three horrific goals a game, which is what we're talking about leading yep. to to that game in Columbus. So if we're talking about a guy who's not who's not killing you night in night out, that means that Joe Wall in what I think is going to be limited opportunities, especially coming off the injury that he suffered, a high ankle sprain, which mm-hmm. talked to more than a few goalies who said that's not the ideal thing Mm-mm. to be coming back from. And a guy who has a myriad of, of injuries, right, is not going to be even 
you know, if if you if you're Sheldon Keefe and you view this as a one A one B situation, it's at least right out right away is not going to be a situation where he's getting like even fifty percent of the starts coming out of the gate. So he's going to have to outperform Ilya Samsonov. And like I said, I don't think Ilya Samsonov stinks now. Like I, I think we're he outperformed Ilya Samsonov at the beginning of the season because like first two games against the Wild and the and the Canadians, he was brutal. It's awful. Yep. And he comes in in relief against the Lightning twice and steals a game yep. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think we're beyond that. So you got to be throwing out incredible otherworldly performances, I think, to steal the net from Samson off the rest of the way. And as much as I think like he's mm-hmm. the better bet going forward, you do have to go back to recent history in the six-game series yep. against the Lightning. Like, that did happen. I'll just throw one, one uh, thing or a caveat about that is, and you and I have mentioned this, the NHL season is so long. Yeah. It feels like so much to expect that guy oh to be God. that good for that long. And I would, please, Sammy, prove me wrong. You can you can put this as like one of those QR codes. You can scan the audio of and hear this every morning. Prove me wrong that you will not be this guy from now, clear through April, clear through May. The season is just so long, and he's both these guys have had tr- trouble putting together the the month two month thing. No problem for them. Mm-hmm. When it gets beyond that, that's when it's proven difficult. All right, uh, before we take a break, let's talk uh, some Blue Jays. Let's. Uh, I let's wish go. I had more concrete information for you. Like yeah. I wish there was a signing to tell you about because you know we've been talking about this this DH slot. <laughs> And this, and not this, even us, like Bo Bichette talked about it. Yeah, this this clearly, or it feels clear, uh, one more bat that this team is going to add, and it does feel like it's, it is just one more bat. Closer, That's to, it. closer to one than three. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like at this point when we're like just a couple of weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin, is it going to be one? Uh, Carlos Baerga, mm, what, just before midnight, tweeted this out. This is a, a Google Translate of, of his tweet. It is rumored in Toronto that Justin Turner reached an agreement with the Toronto Blue Jays, and from today to tomorrow, he will be under contract with them. So, seems that Carlos Baerga, again, eh, checkered track history, track record, uh, did, uh, I believe, have a pretty direct tweet that the Blue Jays were on the verge of acquiring Freddie Freeman, which mm, that proved to mm, be great Canadian. Yeah, it was not the case. But he says it's Justin Turner hmm. who is the guy. Here's what we we know from a guy with a slightly better track record in Buster uh, Buster Olney, who said the Blue Jays were very much after Jock Peterson, did not land him, who gets $12.5 million guaranteed from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nine, I believe, this year. Nine and a half this year. And there's a mutual option, which I guess guys still do, even though like in the history of mutual options, there's been like maybe one that's ever been agreed upon by both parties. But it's like a three million dollar buyout for next year, so he's guaranteed twelve and a half million bucks. Uh, Blue Jays apparently went hard after him, lost out to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, we know they lost out to Shohei Otani. That's a different deal. The the Jock Peterson one. Oh, they were just leverage for Peterson. They never had it. No, I'm mm. not going to do that. Uh, Jock Peterson's a different deal. So this is a, despite it being one year plus an option, this is a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Justin Turner's 39 years old. I'm thinking this is going to be a one-year deal. I J.D. Martinez is 35 years old. Maybe it's a two-year deal, but mm-hmm. we're not talking about, like, yeah, even a five-year deal, <laughs> three. Like, we're talking about guys. Joey Votto, yeah. obviously a one-year deal, and apparently the Angels in on Joey Votto. We're talking about guys who, uh, as far as the the DH market is concerned and it's not exactly the sexiest market for bats in general. Mm-mm. 
are looking for short-term deals, guys in their 30s. Now, Jorge Soler, maybe he's going to get a multi-year deal, and Blue Jays apparently in on him. But, yeah, he's he's the one guy that feels like at the at the top of that market mm-hmm. and, and separated a little bit because of his age, also because of the performance a season ago and the fact that he actually, like, He's not great, but he's, like, capable of putting a glove on his hand and playing the outfield, like, maybe 30 times next season. (laughs) Is there an argument to be made that these guys who are taking one- and two-year deals, and in the case, more J.D. Martinez than, like, a jock, or than uh, uh, a Justin Turner who's, like, yeah, maybe one more year, and then it's, like, a Brandon Belt thing, Mm -hmm. maybe I retire. Or maybe in the case of Jock Peterson, who's younger than both of them, yet... That they look at what happened at Rogers Center a season ago, and I don't know necessarily why it happened, and we kept asking people why it was happening, but it definitely happened. Rogers Center was the 25th ballpark in Major League Baseball when it comes to ballpark factors in creating offense. It it played like prime Petco Park. Like it <laughs> it was it was not a fun place to be if you were an offensive player. Is it possible? that that is factoring in in this particular market where the type of guy the Blue Jays are going after is a DH-only type and the type of guy that they're trying to acquire in that mold is probably an aged guy who's looking at a one-year deal. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a big thing, especially if especially with a Peterson type, like a guy who wants to re-enter or have, you know, another kind of crack at this. You know, if it's a Turner, you want to go out, you know, with a good season or something along those lines, but it's obviously not as important. I don't think it's the end of the world because I think, you know, people across baseball understand, uh, if any sport, understand small sample size. And I know it was a literal, you know, full season of home games, but you need more sample size of that in terms of weather, roof open, you know, how does all of that affect it? I don't, I can't imagine it would, but they renovated the park again. Like, do those renovations change anything? It's not going to change the dimensions of the actual field in terms of where you hit balls to, but airflow, all of these things, they play a part. So I think it is something that somebody would definitely look at, but I also think this has to be said for a team like the Jays who it, this isn't, this isn't nobody wants to come here, but all things being equal, well, this is it. Make it worth my while. Show me what's the plus. And there, there are a lot of things that you could say are pluses. You know, the country, whatever, all they that. Made the playoffs last. They year. made the playoffs, but if the ballpark is a negative, it's just one more thing kind of working against. Well, this you. Is, that's the the market here is okay. Sure, you can overpay. You can give Jock Peterson twenty million right. bucks, right? But nobody's given that to Jock Peters. These are all guys that are going to be making in and around the same amount of money. Nobody's going nuts. No, and, no, no. And nobody's, you know, like the, the, this, the market the Blue Jays are playing in here is, okay, it's 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 dollars and cents, and maybe there is a number that breaks the bank and, and convinces somebody to, 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 to sign with you as opposed to somebody else monetarily, but largely, when you're talking about one and two-year deals, it's environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's landing spot, and I'm not talking about the, like, Canada, Toronto of it all. But yeah, if you're an offensive player and if you're a DH, that's all you are. Yeah. Is you at the end of your year, and if you're a guy like Jock Peterson who's 31 or Jorge Soler who's 31, but who I think is the the rare exception in the guys that we're talking about that's going to get close to a five-year deal, Mm -hmm. if not a five-year deal. Like if you're, yeah, J.D. Martinez who wants to, again, make a bunch of money in free agency, maybe beyond next year or beyond two years, um, you want to have a good statistical case for that. And I can't tell you for certain that that's going to come out of Rogers Center because it weirdly played very big 
last season? One, I, this is just a question I'm going to ask you. I don't have the answer. Maybe you don't either off the top of your head. But the idea of, you know, forever we've seen all that stuff. You know, we've seen it with pitchers in terms of that's not going to play in the AL East. But we've also seen it with hitters of like, hey, you're in a big boy division. You're in the AL East. Now the schedule isn't as bad or it's less balanced than it, you know, more balanced than it used to be. You're playing less teams against less games against teams in your division. But Fenway, mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium, like these are not. Petco Park. These are these are parks where you can generate offense, and you're still going to get more games there. Like I wonder how much the division in past it's been. Yeah, but you still play happier games totally. at home, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still the biggest. It's the biggest factor. Like Vlad oh. had a pretty great season away from Rogers Center last year. Yeah. Like look at the splits. If Vlad just performed to the level at which he performed on the road, I think we're having a very different conversation about it. It was almost entirely. What he did at home where he didn't hit a home run at Rogers Center until like June, yeah. July, was it? It was remarkable. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. As you're talking about with this ballpark. I <laughs> and maybe it's just a one year weirdo Yeah, I, I do think I do think we need a track record before you see these numbers. It but it wasn't just him though. No, it was no, like no. Dalton Varsho too. Yeah, totally. It's really strange. But I think with a with a convertible roof and wind patterns and stuff, oh, I'd like wind to, patterns. Yeah. I, look, I'm not pretending I know that oh, it's gonna have humidity? An Oh, you were going on talking to me. I thought yeah, I thought we were talking pressure. about. Well, I thought we were talking about cigars for the longest time. You're like, there's a humidor, and I'm mm-hmm. like, can I hang out there with Buck Martinez? That sounds like fun. Oh yeah, there were moments last year where I did. I got out the tinfoil hat. Yeah, I know you were going on and on, and I again, like, it took me five minutes into the conversation before I realized you're not trying to tell me about your cigar collection. No, you're talking about baseballs, baseballs. at Rogers Center. Anywho. Uh, more ro- uh, renovations are happening at Rogers. Mm-hmm. Maybe these are like the the correction to last year's <laughs> correction. You know how behind you know behind uh, like golf greens sometimes you'll see like the big big fans like the big blowers yeah. to keep the debris off there. Maybe that's what they're installing in the in the one hundred level. The Just, worst idea. <sighs> yeah. But only, you know, like, if, if people didn't like the man in white, how yeah. are they not going to like fans literally turned on when the Jays are up to bat? And, I mean, what, what's to stop? Uh, just to be clear, that's a joke, people. What's to stop just, you know, fans carrying fans behind? How about, uh, like, home plate lady grabbing a fan? That'd be great. Right. I actually, oh, could you imagine if we had Sway? Mm. It's like opening day. Just a ton of fans in the crowd. Uh, with fans. fans. Yeah, it'd be great. Saying good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. Justin Turner having a 50 home run campaign <laughs> at 39 all, years all old. All buoyed by us. Yeah. Then we'd get to in, announce him. Well, not him, but like somebody from this core at Cooperstown. Mm. You were the first guy to put Bo Bichette in there. Feels like you. <laughs> that would be quite quite a stretch to have Justin Turner at age 39. No, no, that's why, I, that's, why, that's why I immediately pivoted to someone from this core. Oh, okay. That's why I immediately oh, pivoted there okay. and <laughs> okay. said, you put Boba Shett in the Hall Oh, of I see. Yes, yeah, sir. Listen, okay. listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. It's hard. It's I know, I know. There's a lot of them and they're rambly. All right. And they weren't even about the Leafs. No, but we'll get back into Leafs ramblings uh, with our next guest, Anthony Petrielli of uh, Leafs Notebook. On Maple Leafs Hot Stove. Next, as the fan morning show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the fan checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports at 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. So we just mentioned 
our uh, spiciest takes that we had about the Toronto Maple Leafs that we don't have a ton of statistical evidence mm. to support. That's and, right. Uh, it's kind of being aligned with the Tyler Bertuzzi thing yeah. and that, you know, this is a guy that put up 10 points in seven games in a postseason series for the Boston Bruins last year, and that was a big reason why he was acquired this season. And, you know, this year it hasn't necessarily gone well for him from a counting stats perspective. He's actually, I mean, this is the, there's no filters on here, so there's some guys that have played limited uh, games, but uh, nobody like that limited. Uh, as far as a goals per 60 perspective, all situations, Tyler Bertuzzi ranking 12th on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Here is a sampling of the, the fellas in front of him. Pontus Holmberg, mm. uh, Bobby McMahon, Noah Gregor, Ryan Reeves, who, yes, yeah, scored Amen. twice, Matthew Nyes, Callie Yarncroke, all ahead of Tyler Bertuzzi in goals per 60. This is a guy that scored 30 goals in an NHL season before. Let's talk to Anthony Petrielli of Maple Leafs Hot Stove. How's it going, Anthony? I'm good, guys. How about you? I'm I'm doing very well. Let's start with Bertuzzi because uh, I I think yeah most people look at the at the uh, hockey reference page and they're not too pleased with the, the results there. But uh, yeah, reading your latest on Maple Leafs Hot Stove, it feels like uh, you you've been encouraged by the recent play. Yeah, I mean he's only pacing for something like 36 points over an 82 game season. So you know that is that is disappointing. No matter which way you slice it, you, there's no getting around that. At the same time, they don't really have anyone else who can kind of offer what he offers in terms of how he works the walls and how he gets to the net and how he creates space for teammates. I don't think it's a, you know, I think there were a number of factors into Nylander's hot start, at least of which is not having a contract. But I don't think it was a complete coincidence that he's been as successful as he has been this season with Bertuzzi there. You know, ultimately, I, I look at that line and Bertuzzi's barely producing, and I still think it's the best version of the Tavares-Nylander second line that we've seen basically in this era where the other main person who's been there is Alex Kerfoot. So, you know, you look at the, the two Jets games, the one in Toronto on Wednesday, the second line was awful. They barely did anything, and I thought they were easily the Leafs' best line on Saturday, but the Matthews line did not even have a good night that night. But they were creating. He scored what should have been a goal, like like not even close. That should have been a goal. He drew the penalty that essentially iced the game away. You know, he just he does a lot of good things out there. It's just not coming away on the score sheet. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think the I think maybe the reason why there has been a frustration with the player, obviously the counting stats are are part and parcel. I think some of it is where he started. If he would have started the year with Nylander and Tavares and not up top with with Matthews and, and Marner, maybe you would have felt a you know there'd be a different feel about him and that he didn't have to have a you know. And I'm not saying this is it, but I do think a lot of people see that as oh he got demoted right away, albeit still still in the top six. But I think the reason why people are a little down on him this year is because of the you know you mentioned the work along the walls and his ability to forecheck and win puck battles and all that stuff's important but i think that when people close their eyes and think of tyler bertuzzi it's the bloody mouth it's yelling after scrums it's jawing at guys and i i don't want to say we've seen none of that from him but we've seen way less of it than i think people would have expected how much of it do you think that is impacting the perception of the player because for sure the point total is the biggest factor for it but i think that stuff is 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 really is a really really close number two 
Yeah, I I would agree. I, he's not the prototypical, you know, crasher and banger. He's not going out and throwing huge hits. He's not necessarily getting into fights. I think some of that probably would, would be fans maybe not understanding his game coming in originally, right? It's not like he had a huge fight card coming into being a Toronto Maple Leaf. He's never necessarily been a big hitter. What he's been is a bit more of that greasy type player, right? And and that I think we see in spades all the time. I think what also made it what also makes it difficult on him is he's not necessarily uh you know a tic tac toe passer. I don't think he's necessarily at his best in open ice making skilled plays, skilled passing plays in particular with guys. I think he has skill and I think he's a good passer. I don't think he's, you know, one of the first guys you'd like to see on a three on two skating with mm. the puck with, you know, William Nylander. He's gonna he looks a little bit out of his element in those situations, but I think, you know, Jets again, good example. I think LA Kings was a good example of those games that are just they're they're slower, they're tight checking, they're hard to get inside, it's hard to get pucks to the right spots. You know, the hockey that we see more now coming up through the playoffs, I I think that's his hockey. I think we're going to see the best version of him coming up as opposed to the first half of the season where it's, you know, mm. 18 and 19-year-olds in the league, open ice, jerseys flapping in the wind, all that kind of thing. Yeah, and in his case, like uh, skate tongues flapping in the wind, uh, which is like yeah. it's, it's like a cool story when you like, hair you're producing. loose tape. There's just a lot yeah. flapping in the wind, and it's it's rough yeah. when when you're not producing and you're the guy with using no tape, and yeah, you look totally disheveled. It's a different deal when you're scoring ten points in seven games so in the postseason. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, he'll get an opportunity to do that. So I, I mentioned the goals per sixty in all situations, and him ranking twelfth. Go at the top of the table. Obviously, Austin Matthews is first. Uh, 2.46 goals per 60. Uh, a goal more than William Nylander, who's second at 1.46. And then third is Nicholas Robertson, 1.32. And and he's been the topic of much discussion, getting reinserted into the lineup because of some of the, the forward injuries and you know getting a little bit more responsibility on his plate. And maybe he's the poster boy for... For more of these depth guys getting a little more opportunity, should Sheldon Keefe be using his depth players a little bit more, specifically Nick Robertson? Yes. Uh, like, I mean, the easy answer is yes. I think Nick Robertson is, is this is an interesting time to just dis- to discuss him because it is easy to forget that he did give Robertson, you know, he played something like 24 straight games yeah. and he really, he really did, Peter off like he was you know there was a solid 10 borderline 15 game segment of like the back half of that 24 straight games where he really didn't do anything you know I I don't think anyone was necessarily pining for when he came in really hot to start the the season when he did get called up he had four points in his first four games but it really did die down for him I do think getting scratched helped him. I do think the break helped him. I think we've seen that similar scenario with Matthew Nyes, right? His best game was off of a scratch. That game against Pittsburgh where he had the Gordie Howe hat trick. Scratch him again. Right? I, I, to some, they're young guys. I think we kind of forget that, right? Matthew Nyes, his first time in the, in the league. Really, this is his first full season, 
Robertson has never played a full season. I, I think you kind of see that with those guys. But, you know, by and large, I do think that they have a little bit more uh, depth all around than they probably give it credit for. But Gregor had his first good game in, in what felt like a month against the Jets, and that was not coincidentally the most he's played in a month. You know, Max Domi, talk about that Pittsburgh game. Max Domi moved up that night because Matthews was out and he played with Marner, and that was probably his best game as a Leaf, too. And we haven't really seen him get any like that kind of responsibility again, basically, since that game. It just, honestly, it feels a bit like chicken and egg. Like, are these guys not doing anything because they're not getting ice time, or are they not getting ice time because they're not doing anything? And you have top guys, you don't talk about Matthews and pacing for 70 goals and having a, just a lights out year. It's hard to look at guys sometimes when you can just put that on the ice all the time. But I think some of the parts that they need to, they need to squeeze a little bit more juice out of the rest of the lineup and get everyone pulling the rope in the right direction come playoff time, right? Like you, you need three lines at a minimum. Yeah, I think that goes without saying. And quite honestly, the deeper you go, like not to say you need four on any given night, but you're going to need more than just nine forwards going throughout the playoffs, right? Like you're going to need guys to find a role. And as soon as you started talking about role there, the guy that immediately jumps to mind for me is a guy who's been pretty important in his time in Toronto. But uh, during this iteration of the contract, which just kicked in is David camp. And it just feels like a lack of role for him there. You know, I've liked at times when you've seen Gregor and McMahon, and it seems like they've kind of found something, but to your point, I think Gregor's kind of gone quiet in, in some of those games as well. How much of the camp and a, a lesser version of him, at least in my mind's eye this year is just, it's just more of that. It's a, it's a lack of a clear role for the player. And you know, how much of that is, just a case of Sheldon Keefe not feeling like he quite has the bottom six he wants. And I'm not, you know, I'm not absolving him of that. It's like, you got the pieces there. You can find a way to make it work. But I think that there's always been a bit of an odd fit on that fourth line this year. And it all stems from, you know, having a guy like Domi as your, your three C. It just feels like the pieces, they, they fit together better than they looked like they did at the beginning of the year. But, you know, when you talk about roles in the bottom six, how much of it is that there's still just not quite seamless fits down there? Yeah, and if you go back to, to you know early on in the season, it was it was even a little bit more bizarre, right? Because Camp was centering Max Domi and Matthew Nyes once upon a time, <laughs> right? For weeks on end, it was, that wasn't like a one game line. It, that was for weeks we saw that line, and I could I would imagine that the logic was you know, Domi kind of struggles defensively and camp excels there. So let's see if, you know, water and oil can balance each other out kind of thing. And obviously that didn't work. And then we also saw camp play a ton with Ryan Reeves. And I honestly, some of it was unlucky. I know that, you know, there was that run where Reeves had 10, you know, he was on for like 10 goals against in 10 games or something similar to that effect. And, Honestly, a good chunk of those goals really had nothing to do with him, um, but it kind of just snowballed. And, you know, by and large, the idea of having a checking center and then saying play with an enforcer who's not really one that you would trust to be a, a, a true checker, it, it also, again, is kind of water and oil. And then to your point, eventually it kind of got to the McMahon-Gregor trio. And for the first time, this season, it actually felt 
at least to some degree, like a line where you're like, okay, at least I get it. Mm-hmm. Like it makes sense. And they did have some really good games. Like they were, you know, when they got United against Vancouver, they, that line scored a couple goals that night. They were one of the Leafs best and they did, uh, you know, they did their job by and large. I think even going back to, you know, Robertson and Nyes and scratch them again. And, um, you know, same with these guys, it felt like they kind of just got a little stale and it did get a little bit like, what are you guys doing here after a few weeks of them kind of united as a trio where they just weren't really, you know, they kind of died down in their effectiveness. Basically. I think there's enough guys where you can kind of like group it together and say that they're able to contribute, but they need to kind of be in and out of the lineup and rotating in and, and kind of hungry. And, and then we'll finally just add to the back end of that is kind of semi recently. We've seen Pontus Holmberg play a little bit with camp right? Particularly that Seattle game. And that actually has made sense. Camp where actually been pretty good as a winger. Mm-hmm. And that line closed that game out against Seattle uh, towards the end where they had, you know, a shift where it was almost a minute in the Kraken zone. Holmberg had a turnover, shifted to camp. They got it low and they did work together. Like it's, it, you know, you could see pieces that start to make sense. It's just about kind of getting everyone rolling. What about the blue line? What makes sense there? I think the thing that probably <laughs> makes the most sense is bringing in another right-handed shot, and everybody's, yeah, you're not the first to bring up the possibility of an Ilya Labushkin uh, reunion with this Leafs team, like, um, you know, playing the Luke Shen role from a season ago in the postseason. People scoffing at that move. Worked out pretty well, having a right-hand shot next to to Morgan Riley. We also saw, like, the, the beginnings of TJ Brody and certainly Mark Giordano looking old in the postseason last year and that's kind of carried over into the regular season here like what is the what is the best combination of defensemen uh that the Leafs can put forth with with the current iteration and like let's say they add another right hand shot does that mean that maybe a geo gets pushed out of of uh the game one lineup yeah i mean it's a loaded question because they obviously need external help you know like the the solution's not it's not with what they have at the moment i think that's obvious i think that I think the toughest thing of the two, the two toughest things I'd, I would say of what we've seen is the the decline of, of Brody, I think has been extremely, extremely notable. I, you know, I don't want to say he's completely fallen off to the, he's definitely playable. He takes solid responsible shifts by and large, just in that top role. I, I think you're starting to see the, you know, the decline and, and what comes with that, especially just, the things that he does on the offensive blue line, which is he kill he kills a lot of plays right now. And we'll always just say like, that's not his role. Like he's not a score. You kind of have to preface it with that. But the fact is when you're playing with Matthews and Marner a lot, which is what that, that pairing does, you can't actively kill plays in the offensive zone. And he's actively killing plays. Like, like he's actively hurting them now when the puck is on his stick. So it's honestly, it's wild to see for a defenseman who, you know, in his prime was having 30, you know, at, at least one 40 point season. He had a double digit goal season once as a defenseman. I, you know, I know guys age out, but you know, even with Mark Giordano, you can see him age out, but when he gets the puck and has mm. opportunities to make, he can still make plays and he's 40. He's the oldest guy in the league. So it's, it's kind of stunning to see the way that that's gone. So I, I think that's the, you know, obviously that's the most difficult part, but then the second part is Timothy Lilligren, right? Where he kind of, 
he teases you. At, you know, you see games where he is really good and you get it, right? Like he's a, he's a good skater. He has a good shot. He's, he's not tall, but he is solid. Like he's a, he's a brick solid guy and he's a bit of a fire hydrant. You know, he can rip pucks around. He led their team in their, their led their defense and goals last season, which I know is not a huge thing to tout, but it's something. Um, but then uh, he, he just has a lot of games where he's, it's like it's like jittery. I, I don't know how to describe it. Where he, you know, he gets the puck and it like it rolls off the stick for no reason, or he fans on it, and and but it's to the point where you say you'd like to see him with Riley because at least he's a right-handed guy who can shoot the puck and he can skate. And you've seen them together, and it's been okay at times. But then he does those things, and you kind of go, well, how can I, with you know, in good conscience, how could I legitimately trust this to to be good? So it's a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a tough spot. I, I think ultimately it's worth looking at it a little bit more. I do think there's been times where we've seen Lilligren kind of shoehorned into more minutes, especially last year when their defense got hurt in, in November and he's kind of rose to the occasion. Yeah. So, you know, the, the one thing we can say with certainty, which is wild to say, honestly, is the Benoit McCabe pairing is pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, who who who'd have figured? And who'd have figured? Yeah, they'd be going to the Ducks well again in in maybe getting Labushkin. But yeah, no, the the, the Ducks just let him go for that. He's twenty five, and yeah, he's seemingly going to be a fixture on this blue line and next year too. He hits the bodies, and he scored a goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A the goal is great. It, there was a clip at the end of it where you could you could see him going by the bench to celebrate, and he's like hooting and hollering, <laughs> and it's like. It, you know, it makes it like 4-1 on a <laughs> long ice empty net. And yeah. like, how can you not love the guy? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, those people are wrong, whoever they are. Yeah. Just no. like you. We yeah. love you, bud. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> uh, it's Anthony Petrelli, Maple Leafs hot stub. No, he's been a revelation. Again, like the Ducks just cast him off. Yeah. He's They're, 25. He's, he's a restricted free agent. He's big. He's French. He looks angry. He's got I a mustache. Don't, I, don't, I don't understand I, it. How did a hockeyman see that? Yeah. Like, I can understand that somebody, you know, like, but that's like a hockeyman's dream. Big mm. right shot D who just wants to hit the body. Mm. Oh, my God. And talk about Lee Civil War all the time. The two factions joining together on that one. Brad Living found Benoit and Kyle Dubas, one of his uh, his last uh, last pieces of business, Jake McKay. But the that's true. Uh, and as you rightly point out, $2, $2 million. Because $4 million is a little different. Yeah. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Raptors in action on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590 The Fan, 8 o'clock in Chicago against the Bolts team that they matched up against in the play-in tournament in the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference last year. And, oh, what a clash of the Titans that was. The Raptors missing approximately 10 billion free throws uh, in, in bowing out uh, pretty meekly to that Bulls team. Uh, they are without R.J. Barrett, probably without Emmanuel Quickly, and probably without Jakob Pirtle again. And even with those guys, they've been bad. Well, not Pirtle. We haven't seen Pirtle mm-hmm. in a dog's age. Last yeah. time we saw Pirtle, we also saw Pascal Siakam. He was a spur. No. No. I just. Uh, uh, the, the Bulls are favored by six and a half at home. 
And the total in this one, 226 and a half, Brent. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bulls to cover. Uh, Raps aren't with anybody. Uh, You know, you like Scotty Barnes. And this Raptors team used to torture, or sorry, this Bulls team used to torture good Raptors teams. Uh, So, yeah, Bulls to cover, minus six and a half. You get a minus 110. That's where I'm going. All right, I'm buying on the Raptors uh, holding in close against mm. the Hawks with okay. the same yep. cast-off cast of characters and Grady Dick, you know, becoming yeah. a factor, playing in crunch time in a single-score game against the Hawks. And, yeah, they lost, but they almost won. And covered, that's for sure. They they can cover six-and-a-half against a, a pretty mediocre Bulls team. I, I, I was going to say I have full faith in the Raptors. I have, like, some faith. <laughs> In the Raptors. Uh, that was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. When we come back, we'll talk to Thomas Hickey, former NHL defenseman, NHL network analyst, former Islander, as the Leafs getting set to face Patrick Waugh and the Islanders in their first game after the All-Star break. That's next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.